This is an AMI podcast. I'm Juvita Gupta, and this is the Pulse. I know the government is working hard and working fast to provide aid and get information out there, but it can feel overwhelming. If someone within government is a policy expert, they genuinely believe that they are being straightforward. But it's not always so. When you phone a 1-800 number, one is frequently put on hold or asked to call back. Their call centers are busy at the best of times. Now, add in the additional questions arising due to a worldwide pandemic and, well, things can get hairy. But questions abound as Canadians from all walks of life try to grapple with the financial uncertainty arising out of COVID-19. Today, we discuss a plain language guide to financial aid available during COVID-19. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. And welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. You're with me, Joetha Gupta, and today, as we is the case for most of the shows we're putting on recently, I, as well as the rest of The Pulse team, is working from home to bring you the program remotely. I want to remind you that as the news is continuously changing and evolving during COVID-19, we at AMI-audio want to make sure that you are informed and kept in the loop. Please head on over to ami.ca forward slash COVID-19 for up-to-date segments from all of our live shows, including The Pulse, but also now with Dave Brown, as well as Kelly and Company. Today we're talking about a plain language guide to financial aid. There have been a lot of announcements by various levels of government and we want to give you a solution that is both easy to understand and easy to access. This is a PDF document. I had a fairly easy time of it myself. As you know, I'm visually impaired and I was able to access the document available through Google Drive, both over my phone using VoiceOver, it's because I have an iPhone, as well as JAWS for Windows, which I know is a popular screen reading software. I don't know and I cannot vouch for how accessible the document might be with other forms of screen readers, but I know that JAWS and VoiceOver being the most popular screen readers used by blind and partially sighted Canadians, well, let's just say it's quite a straightforward document to read and I hope that it will be informative to you as it was for me. My guest today is Dr. Jennifer Robson. Dr. Jennifer Robson is an Associate Professor for Political Management at Carleton University. She joins us, as I mentioned, to discuss a plain language guide she created so we can understand financial aid available during COVID-19. Dr. Robson, welcome to The Pulse. It's great to have you on the program. Thank you so much for having me. One of the things that I said right off the top is sometimes I think the way in which government communicates to ordinary people is a bit convoluted, and I will stand by that. But I will back it up a little bit and say that in the interest of fairness, everybody from three levels of government has been out there giving press conferences and providing a lot of information, at least as it relates to COVID-19. So I'd love to get your perspective. Are you overall satisfied with the communication and the messaging around COVID-19 from various levels of government? I think that various levels of government, particularly on the health information and keeping us updated around um, what uh, what safe practices are, um, what uh, closures are, keeping us updated on um, best official health information uh, and case information as well. I think that they are actually doing 
quite a good job. And I know that there is sometimes confusion um, around, for example, the question of should you wear a mask or not? I think that the officials are doing their very best using uh, access to uh, scientific information to give us informed evidence-based direction. Um, so I applaud them on that. I also applaud all of the levels of government for making themselves available on a regular basis. I think that that consistent communication with Canadians is very important, especially in a crisis situation. Um, I think that there remain to be challenges, or there remain many challenges in terms of explaining the, the different benefits um, that are available. And of course, these differ uh, according to where you live in the country, because some provinces are doing some measures and others have other kinds of supports, um, as well as individual circumstances. Even outside of a crisis situation, I think um, government officials can uh, be fairly cautious when it comes to communicating rules for accessing government support and programs. And I think that comes in part from a desire to, they don't want to get it wrong, right? They don't want to mislead people. Um, and I think it also comes in part from the fact that, and you see that I'm an academic, and we see this in the uh, you know academic world all the time, that when somebody is an expert on something, they forget what they don't know. And it becomes difficult for officials who are experts to remember what is the, the way of communicating about this new program or this new benefit that as somebody who has never heard of it before would need to hear and understand? So I think it's a combination of those two things. But I, I grant you, it's um, we're lucky to be going through this crisis in a country like Canada that is as well governed. And while the benefits can feel confusing um, and they have been changing over time, um, I, I really do have full confidence that our governments at all levels are doing the very best that they can. Let's talk a little bit about the plain language guide that you created. Why did you feel that there was a need for such a guide? And who is the guide intended for? So I originally created this document um, some time ago now, actually uh, a few weeks ago, when I was trying to make sense of some of the initial benefit announcements that were coming out, uh, both provincially as well as federally, and I was having conversations with some people who are, um, you know, policy researchers and advocates, and they were likewise finding it uh, difficult to keep on top of all of the information coming. It's been a bit like drinking from a fire hose, you know, with different announcements coming. So originally, I started to make um, a fairly simple, um, uh, uh, just cat, I guess, catalog of what had been announced and realized that if I could uh, distill that, it might be useful, particularly to some NGOs that I have done work with that provide support to people, particularly in low and modest income situations. Uh, on access to benefits. And they've been doing that work for years, quite outside of the, the COVID-19 work. Um, and I thought, well, you know, if I can put together a document that helps me understand, helps some of my colleagues understand, and maybe is useful to some of my uh, NGO friends, um, maybe there's, maybe, maybe some other people would be interested as well. So I put it on uh, Google Drive and uh, tweeted about it. And I 
did not expect the amount of interest to take off the way that it, it has. I, I really am genuinely um, surprised um, and uh, uh, touched, though, to hear that it's been useful to many people from across the country, people who normally would never uh, have reason to read anything written by, you know, a little old university professor at, of political management at Carleton. I, I think you're being so modest, Dr. Robson, because I passed your guide on to a couple of co-workers in the housing field, and I quote, they said, the guide is awesome. Uh, but let me ask you this. When you wrote the guide, what was it not intended to be? Why should this guide not be mistaken for financial advice or specific advice for someone's situation? Right. I am not a licensed financial advisor or a financial planner. Um, I'm I'm a researcher. Um, I have uh, I've worked in government myself. I've worked in the voluntary sector, and I'm an academic. And um, I uh, created this guide to try and, I guess, in academic speak, we would say, do knowledge translation. So to take the information that governments were putting on a variety of websites. And I only relied on public information for this. Mm -hmm. So all that I can do, I think, ethically, uh, in terms of my my comfort level and and who and how I am accountable to, um, um, the the best I thought I could do is to essentially synthesize and simplify uh, the information and provide links so that people who want more details can find it, that the sources that I have relied on are transparent. Um, but no, I'm, I'm not in a position. And it's been heartbreaking to get um, emails from people who are having a very difficult time and they are hoping for some guidance and information. And the best that I can do is try and say, here's what I know about the programs and hope that they can make an informed decision. But I, I certainly can't uh, I can't ethically give uh, financial advice or guidance. But I think just in putting out the guide, you've probably really helped a lot of people demystify some of these government programs and cut through some of the confusion. Dr. Robson, we talked about the need for plain language. Uh, we had a conversation with somebody from Inclusion BC where they talked about the lack of plain language information and how difficult that was making it for people with intellectual disabilities to get basic information and to understand their rights under the law. So uh, tell us a little bit about how you feel about the linkages between accessibility and plain language. Um, one of my areas of research is actually um, on uh, financial literacy or financial capability. And I guess what I would what I would emphasize from that research perspective is that all people have um, strengths and deficits when it comes to absorbing, understanding, and using information about financial matters, including government benefits. And that's um, that's not specific to disability status. We all have strengths and, and uh, deficits on this. But um, to the extent that we can make information um, as simple as possible, uh, the use of plain language is to my mind, part of that issue of accessibility. Um, and, the, and that goes for people with and without disabilities because I think it's very clear that when we're in a situation of stress and anxiety, as the current crisis has provoked, I think, for so many, um, language that is not plain, 
documents that are confusing, um, steps to apply for a benefit that are uh, that are that are too many steps. Um, that can feel overwhelming, right? And mm-hmm. um, I think a big part of actually connecting people to the benefits that they are entitled to, that would make a difference in their welfare and well-being is actually uh, providing that information in a way that is useful and that better meets people where they are at in that moment that they are seeking help. Well, let's talk a little bit about the contents of the guide itself. You start the guide out by saying that Canadians should not hoard, not toilet paper, not money. And I loved when you said that. Can you expand on that for us? Sure. Um, So I wrote that because I wanted to convey the message that the purpose of the benefits that are being presented right now are really to help people who are in uh, very difficult situations be able to make ends meet. We are all being asked to do something that is very difficult, which is to um, stop working, stop socializing, and stay home. I am in a fortunate position where I can work from home. And um, my my income has not been disrupted, but there are many people who have lost hours, who have been laid off, who uh, perhaps they haven't been laid off by their employer, but they haven't seen a paycheck in quite some time. And for them, uh, the real challenge, right, is getting um, some benefits, some financial support to be able to keep their housing, to be able to continue to stay home and stay safe, to be able to meet their essential needs. So the guide was not created with a view to here is how to get the most money from all of the government programs. Um, It was really created uh, with the intent of saying, um, here is how to get the help that you need. And, um, you know, just as we don't we don't need to hoard the toilet paper. Um, we don't need to apply for benefits that we don't need. Um, that is help that is intended for people who uh, are, are uh, having a very difficult time and who really need that help. Let's talk a little bit about someone who might get sick during COVID-19 and maybe they're told to self-isolate or quarantine. What kind of help can they get from the government? So from the government of Canada, and maybe I'll focus mostly on those national benefits because they are applicable no matter where someone is living, there is um, for people who are unable to work and because they are ill, um, there is something called the Canada Emergency Response Benefit. And this is available whether you qualify for employment insurance or not. In fact, um, before this, there was a program called the Employment Insurance sickness benefit. Now, um, even if you qualify for employment insurance um, through those sickness benefits, the government will pay you the same benefit as the emergency response benefit. The emergency response benefit pays, um, it's it's paid in one lump sum for four weeks at a time. It pays uh, $500 per week, so a lump sum of $2,000. You apply uh, through the online link. As I said, if you're eligible for employment insurance, the link will send you to the employment insurance side. If you're not eligible for employment insurance, maybe you didn't have enough insurable hours, uh, maybe you're self-employed, um, maybe you've been doing gig work and you know you don't necessarily have a single employer who's been um, deducting employment insurance benefits. 
then the, the that one government of Canada link will take you to the Canada Revenue Agency. The criteria for being eligible are that you have made $5,000 in employment or self-employment income in the last year, and that since March 15, you have had 14 days in a row with no income from work or self-employment um, or other employment insurance benefits. And if you are already set up with the Government of Canada for direct deposit to your bank account, um, the government says that if you are eligible, you will receive your benefit within three to five business days. So it really is very quick. If you uh, do not have direct deposit, the government will mail the check to you, which will take a little bit longer. Um, it is a taxable benefit. I think it's important that people know that so that next year at tax time, it will be included as part of your taxable uh, income. Um, and um, once you apply for that first four months, you will need to reapply if you need a second, third or fourth month. One of the things you didn't mention, which I would have thought would be a criteria for some kind of a sickness benefit, would be that doctor's note. Is that something that is still needed? Under the old employment, and I shouldn't say old, but under the pre-crisis employment insurance sickness benefit, the government generally asked people to present a doctor's note. Before creating the new emergency benefit, they had already announced that no doctor's note would be needed uh, to prove that you were sick with COVID-19. And this is for a good reason. We don't want people to have to line up in doctor's offices. We want to uh, encourage everybody to be doing the social distancing. Um, so they have they have said that you do not need a doctor's note to prove that you are ill. I would also add that it's important, in addition to thinking about the financial support, it's important that people know that there are labor laws in the province that they live in or for some workers who are in uh, banking uh, or transportation sectors that are covered by the federal labor laws. But there are entitlements to unpaid sickness leave so that you do not have to lose your job if you have to take a leave because you're ill. And uh, many of those uh, rules uh, provincially have been enhanced uh, in in the current COVID situation. So that issue of having the job protected leave plus some income replacement, those are two policies that really uh, work hand in hand. Mm-hmm. I'm speaking to Dr. Jennifer Robson, who is an Associate Professor for Political Management at Carleton University. Dr. Robson, one of the things that a lot of people have noticed is uh, there, are, there are individuals who have multiple jobs, and so maybe they get laid off from one, but not all, and only lose some, but not all of their income. Can they still apply for benefits from the government? That is a great question. So um, until very recently, until Monday of this week, the information from the government of Canada had been that your first month of this emergency benefit was payable as long as you had those 14 days in a row since March 14. So you can imagine um, that people might have had some days of pay or some income, but they might have 14 days in a row since March 14 or March 15 where they hadn't earned income. However, the government previously was saying when you needed to reapply for a second, a third, or a maximum of a fourth month, 
you could not have any income at all. And uh, since that time, uh, after hearing feedback uh, from a number of, of voices, they have signaled that they now intend to change the program so that people who have maybe some income, but clearly not enough to be able to make ends meet and to be able to continue staying at home and practicing social distancing, that they, the program will be amended to cover more people um, and, and to uh, allow them to keep you know, that small amount of income. I've heard, for example, from people who are um, uh, like piano teachers, right, and who have lost most of their clients uh, for now, but one or two have said, yes, I'd like to keep doing a lesson by, uh, you know, by, by technology or at distance, but it's a significant drop in terms of their, their income. So um, I think from a policy goal perspective, as long as people can continue to work in a way that is safe, that respects the public health rules of practicing social distancing and staying home, um, that there is good reason to uh, to say to people, we will not cut you off from the full benefit, uh, even if you have this, this small bit of income still coming in. Let's talk a little bit about caregivers. And when we talk about caregivers, I want to expand the conversation a little bit. We can have caregivers to people who are sick due to COVID-19, but you could also have caregivers, let's say parents who are looking after a child who is severely disabled, permanently disabled, and many of the maybe in-school programs or community programs that were available to help these parents out are no longer functioning. When we think about caregivers, how wide has the government cast the net in terms of supporting caregivers through COVID-19? Mm-hmm. Very good question. So there are kind of two different um, possible uh, financial supports for caregivers. Um, the the first one would be for people who uh, do not qualify for employment insurance, um, for people who uh, might not themselves be sick, um, but who can't work because um, you know they're they're at home caring uh, caring for a loved one. And the, the Canada Emergency Response Benefit is available in those situations as well. So it's not just if you've been laid off or had your hours cut by your employer. It can also be because you are unable to work in order to provide care. In addition to that, um, the government is continuing to uh, to pay a program called the Employment Insurance Caregiver Benefit. Now, this is for people who have been uh, covered by employment insurance. So that normally means that you've worked at least 600 hours of insured employment in the last year. Um, and um, that program can pay between 15 and up to 35 weeks of employment insurance benefits. Um, and that will pay a maximum of $573 per week or 55% of your usual pay, whichever dollar amount is less. So that program is still available. Um, the information on the specific uh, rules to qualify are available on the government uh, website. And But that one is, is uh, for people who are unable to work are covered by employment insurance and are caring for someone who, um, you know, who needs who needs that critical care right now. We just have a few minutes left, Dr. Robson. I know we've only skimmed the surface of 
the guide, and I also know that you're doing your very best to keep it up to date. Where can we go to access the most up-to-date version of your guide? So I um, have been posting it to the same Google Documents uh, uh, link, the web link, and I'm keeping that as the top pinned tweet on my Twitter account. So if your listeners um, are not on Twitter, that's okay. I think if you just Google uh, Twitter, um, Jennifer Robson, and my Twitter handle, so they make sure they have the right one, is at Jennifer Robson 8. I know it's not a very good Twitter handle. I think all of the other ones were already taken. So, um, But it'll be the, the top pinned tweets at the very top of my timeline. And um, as I'm making updates, the link is staying the same. So once they have that link, if they need to go back and check, um, the document will be will be automatically updated. Wonderful. We'll put a link to your Twitter page on our show blog so people can just head on over there if they like and get the most up-to-date version of the guide. Dr. Robson, it's been a pleasure speaking to you today. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was Dr. Jennifer Robson, Associate Professor for Political Management at Carleton University. She is the creator of a plain language guide that deals with financial aid available during COVID-19. If you missed any of my conversation with Dr. Robson or would like to check out previous episodes of The Pulse, please find your favorite podcast platform and you can look for us on there. Don't forget to like, rate or subscribe. I hope you'll take this opportunity to inform yourself about the various sources of financial aid available to you by the government. I know it can feel a bit overwhelming and sometimes people get discouraged, but we don't want to send you that negative message. We want you to know that there are people like Dr. Robson who are trying to demystify and decode government jargon to make this information accessible to you, available to you, and easy to understand. Please do your homework. Don't be afraid to ask questions. And there's always someone or somewhere that you can reach out for help. With that said, please head on over to our show page, ami.ca forward slash on the pulse as i mentioned we'll put a link to dr robson's twitter handle where you can access the most up-to-date version of her guide i'd like to thank dr jennifer robson from carleton university for being my guest on the program today the pulse is produced by andrika delanerol sam robinson is our technical producer andy frank is the manager of ami audio with special thanks going out to paula denin supervisor ami audio technical We'd love to get your feedback. Give us a call at 1-866-509-4545. That's 1-866-509-4545. And let us know if we have your permission to play the audio on the program. You can find us on Twitter at AMI Audio and use the hashtag PulseAMI to tweet at us. Or you can send us an email right to feedback at ami.ca. We'd love to hear from you as always. Thanks for listening and have a wonderful rest of your day. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. The Walrus is Canada's conversation, and you're invited to take part. Download AMI's Voices of the Walrus, where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine. Available wherever you download your AMI podcasts.